All right. How many of y'all will help me this morning? <clears throat> welcome all of our Fairview family to the service this morning. Will y'all welcome them? Yes. We are so thankful for Brother Tim and all of our family out there. Uh, isn't the Lord good? All the time. Grab your Bibles, remain standing, and turn with me to Matthew chapter number 21. Matthew chapter number 21. That's where we stopped last time. So let's go back to where we stopped. We'll be in verse number 23. Matthew 21, 23. Just a brief update while you're turning. Uh, our, our, our goal this year is to plant uh, uh, 1,000 churches. We, we have our, our, our goal. We have our boxes. Each one of those boxes represents a church plant. Uh, we, each represents $300. TTI is able to plant a church in an, uh, a, a place in the world where the gospel has never been preached for $300. And, and we, we said we're going to, this year, we're going to plant 1,000 churches. How many? 1,000 churches by the end of the year. And as of this day, uh, we are now at 455 churches. Can we give God praise and glory? Listen, uh, that's just over 45%. So we're almost halfway to our goal and, and we have just started. Amen. And so I thank God for that. I thank God for uh, your generosity and what God's doing there. And just a reminder for, for the, the campus here and the campus out at Fairview. Uh, remember, when you get your box filled with that $300, don't come put it in the pile. Say that with me. Say it again. We have made that announcement several times. We've got a big sign there and a big sign, hopefully, at Fairview that says, don't put it in the pile. But we still have people that are, don't put it in the pile. Turn it into 411, turn it into 411, or you can bring it at the office. Now, uh, that way we can keep track of it. What we do is we bring it in and we put the money, we put the money in the bank where it goes and then we send it to TTI and then we put the box out here. We do not put the box in the pile and all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. So help us with that. Help us with that. Don't put it in the pile. Turn it into either the church office or 411 so we can make sure to keep it accounted for, accounted for and all of that jive. Say amen. All right. Now, Matthew 21, this is where we stopped last time. Uh, we are in the last week of Jesus's life here on earth before the crucifixion. And there's a lot of things that's happened. There's a lot of things that's going on. One of the major things that's taken place is he has cleansed the temple. He went in and drove out all of the merchants, all of the money changers. Uh, it really, really ticked the religious crowd off especially the high priest and all his minions, and, and they are not happy about this. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And so that brings us to where we are today. They're going to confront the Lord about it. And in many of you today, uh, you, have a, you have a false impression of who Jesus is. You have an impression of who Jesus is by what you've seen in Hollywood or by what you've heard other people say. Or by even what you want him to be. You hear me? I know of a lot of people say, well, my God is like this. And they begin to describe this, this person or this entity that they want God to be. Well, God is not what you think he is or what you imagine him to be. 
He's what the word of God says he is. And you're going to see, you're going to see a part of Jesus here that many of you may not realize that he really is like. And what I mean by that, I was going to title today, when God is fed up. When God is fed up, but you will see that here in just a minute. Matthew 21, 23, if you're there, say amen. Amen. And when he was coming to the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came unto him as he was teaching and said, by what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority? And Jesus answered and said unto them, I also will ask you one thing, which if ye tell me, I in the likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned within themselves saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not then believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, please help me. Please help me to deliver deliver your truth in such a way that the youngest person in here, the most inexperienced person in here, Lord, can understand clearly your word. Lord, this is such an important message today. I pray that you will touch every heart, touch every ear, that they may comprehend and understand. I pray, Lord, that the person closest to hell will hear this and believe in you as their personal Savior. Lord, don't let me say anything I shouldn't. And Lord, please don't let me forget anything I should. God will thank you and praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We have a confrontation. We have a confrontation between the religious leaders of the day and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is just one of many that's happened. Uh, And I'm I'm going to have to go fast through this. Because I don't want to, I don't want to miss the ending, and I've got a whole lot more to say than I have the time to say it. So you're going to have to bear with me and just write fast and listen fast. Uh, the Lord Jesus here in this particular situation, as way of review, you remember, uh, he is in the last days of his ministry here on earth before his crucifixion. It's in the last week of his life. And we find that, that he, is, he is dealing with people who have rejected him, have already predetermined, have already made up their mind to not believe that he is who he says he is. If you're with me, say amen. amen. He came unto his own and his own received him not. So they've determined and they've made up their minds who Jesus is. Now, it seems like Jesus is avoiding the confrontation. He's avoiding answering their question. Now, we all know that that's ridiculous because Jesus has an answer to every question. Say amen. And it's not that he doesn't have an answer or he's afraid to answer. It is that he refuses to answer. He could have said, he could have said, I get this authority from my father who sent me. 
He has told them over and over before, over and over again, that he is of the Father. He is one with the Father. He has been sent from the Father. And he always do, he always does what the Father's will is. Are you with me? But he didn't do that. He could have said that the authority is mine. I already have the authority. I am the authority. But he didn't say that. He gives them a question that, that backs them in the corner. He knows, he knows that this question is going to cause a conflict with them because they refuse to obey the first messenger that God the Father sent in John Baptist. And now they know that the people love John Baptist and believe he was a prophet. So they don't want to risk, they don't want to really risk their political clout. Are you with me? Say amen. So he backs them in the corner. Now, this is not, like I said, this is not because he doesn't have an answer. This is not because he's trying to avoid the confrontation. It is because he refuses to give them any more light and truth than he already has. He's fed up. He is done with those who have refused to believe him. This all began, this all began back in chapter 13. If you will remember back in chapter 13, as we've gone through the book of Matthew, that Jesus, instead of speaking plain truth and speaking in a plain way, in a direct way, he began to speak in what? Parables. And we learn that that was judgment against them. He's saying, because they see and refuse to see, they hear and will not hear. Now I'm going to speak in a way that they cannot. It was judgment against the unbeliever. Now, I want to, I want to just mention this and say this, because I, usually I wait to the end to get to the point. But I want to tell you this. There will come a day that if you keep rejecting Christ and refusing the wooing of the Holy Spirit in your life, God will get fed up with you. In the, but the very beginning of the Bible, when it came to the people, the nation, uh, the world, the Bible says that God's spirit will not always strive with man. And that was right before the flood. Strive means to contend with, to try to convince. In other words, God has over and over and over striven and tried to convince men of their sin, men of their condemned condition, trying to reach them and bring them to himself. But the truth is he will not always do that. I've heard people say, well, I'm just not ready to be saved. I'll get saved when I'm ready to be saved. Well, honey, you, you got it all backwards. You do not come to God when you desire. You come when he's calling. Oh, as long as I'm breathing, there's hope. Wrong. He was fed up. He was done. He refused to give truth to those who had already rejected truth. Now, let me give you the points. Number one, and we're just going to skim through these. We, we see the requests. We see the requests. Where do you get this authority? Where do you get this authority? They were angry that he had cleansed the temple. He was angry that he had rebuked them. We see the request in verse 23. Number two, we see the response. Verses 24 through 27. He does not allow them. He does not give them a direct answer. He gives them a question just like he received. They could not answer the question. And he said, neither do I tell thee. I'm not going to give you any more truth. 
I'm not going to give you any more truth, any more light than you already have. You already, why should God give them more when they've already made up their mind to reject it? Number three, number three, and this is really what I want to preach on today. I want you to see the rebuke. There was a request, a response, and a rebuke. Now, today, we're going to go into chapter 22. Usually, we, we, we break it up, but keep in mind, remember, remember that chapter and verses were put in the Bible for our study and our memorization. Are y'all, are y'all with me? So, as we go to the end of chapter 21, we go right into chapter 22 because it's the same time, the same subject. He gives three different parables as a way of rebuke to this religious leadership and the, the, basically the religious leaders of the nation of Israel. So there's not a break in action here. It's even though it's in another chapter, it's still the same event, the same situation. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. There's two of them that's written and recorded in chapter 21. And the third one is written in the first and recorded in the first part of chapter 22. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to go through these. I want to go through these each individually because they each show a different way that the nation of Israel has rejected God. They rejected God the Father. They rejected God the Son. And they have rejected God the Holy Spirit. And we see a, the first parable is a parable of a father. The second parable is a parable of a son. The third parable is a parable of servants. And we know that in, 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 in the biblical stories that a servant is a type of the Holy Spirit sent by a king. Now, here's, let's do this. Let's do this. First of all, first of all, A, let's look at the parable of a father in verse number 28. After Jesus refuses to tell them and refuses to give them more light, he begins these three parables. And keep in mind, the parable always had to do with judgment. Say that with me. He spoke in a way that they would not be able to understand because it was a judgment against their rebellion, rejection, and unbelief. And all three of these, if you studied in great detail, I I so wish we had the time to be able to go into these in great, great detail. But Jesus, he speaks of the past and he speaks of the present. And he speaks of the future in these three parables and all have to do with the nation of Israel's rejection of their Messiah and his subsequent judgment on them and what he decides to do about it. All right. Look at the father. Verse 28. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons and he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will, I will not. In other words, he refused. But afterward, he, he repented. means he changed his mind and he went. And he came to the second and said, likewise. And he said, answer and said, I go. He said, I'll do it. And he, he didn't do it. He went not. He said, whether of them, whether of the twain did the will of his father. They say unto him, the first. Jesus says unto them, watch this now, verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness and ye believed him not. 
But the publicans and the harlots believed him. And ye, when ye had what? Seen it. When you saw the publicans and harlots, when they believed and were baptized and their lives were changed, you repented not afterward that ye might believe him. Now let's break this down. This publican, this, this, this parable of a father. First, we see a command. Number one, we see a command. And I'm going to go fast, guys, faster than normal. So just, just forgive me for that, but we really got to hurry. We see a command. We see a direction, a directive given from a father to his sons. Now, this is a comparison. He's looking at, he's looking at the nation of Israel, that they have a direct command from God, right? So this father has two sons. So there's two different groups that he's referencing, right? Now, the first son, the first son said, hey, I'm not going. He refuses to obey the father's will. But then later he changes his mind and he obeys. He repents. He changes his mind and he does the father's will. Are y'all with me? Say amen. But then you have a second group. The second son, he said, he said, I'll do it. I'll do it. He made lip service. He talks a good game. Are y'all with me? But then he what? He didn't do it. He did not do the Father's will. And and Jesus says, which one did the Father's will? See, it's not what you say, it's what you do. I don't care how you describe yourself as a Christian. I don't care how how good you talk. Does your deeds match your words? Does your walk match your are y'all with me? Say amen. And they had to rightly say it was the first. The first did his will. And now look at the second thing. We not only see a command, but we see a comparison. He compares them, the religious leaders, the religious crowd, the Pharisees and the Sadducees with the publicans and the harlots. Now, keep in mind that this was the dregs of society. This was the worst of the worst. Publicans were Jewish people that were traitors to their own people and they got contracts with the Romans to take taxes away from their own people and they were hated by the Jewish nation. They were considered the worst of the worst, the worst of all sinners. And then the harlots, they were considered the most immoral people on the planet. So Jesus compared the worst of the worst with those who thought that they were the best of the best. Are y'all with me? And then he says this, which just blew their mind. We see the condemnation. He says, let me tell you something. They're going to get into heaven before you do. They're going to get in before you do. The worst of the worst. Why? You see, the worst of the worst was represented by the first son. In the beginning of their life, in the beginning of their life, they rejected God and rebelled against God and sinned and lived a life that was contrary to the will of God. But guess what? They heard the preaching of John Baptist. They heard the word of God and they said, oh, if God will take it a sinner like me, I'll repent and I'll change my mind and I'll do the will of the father in heaven. Somebody say amen. Amen. Aren't you glad that it doesn't matter how you started out? It all matters how you finish. Amen. I don't care if the beginning of your life was full of sin. The end of it can be full of righteousness and full of glory. Say amen. 
But that second son represented the Pharisees and represented the Sadducees, represented the religious crowd who walked around arrogantly, walked around self-righteously saying, we are God's favorite. We do God's will. In reality, they did not do God's will. They talked a good game, but their walk didn't match their... Somebody say amen. amen. And he said, let me tell you something. The publicans and the harlots, the worst of the worst, who went to John and they saw their sin and they repented and they were baptized and their lives changed. Their lives changed. They're going to get in before you do. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. He said, look at this. I'm, I, he, he, he gives them a double damnation. He said, not only did you hear the truth and reject the truth, you saw it. You saw publicans. You saw harlots come and they were baptized and their lives changed. They repented. They were harlots who were no longer harlots, publicans who no longer cheated and, and embezzled money. You saw the change in their life and you still refused. Are y'all with me? So John came under the direction of the father. They rejected him. Jesus came under the direction of the father. They rejected him. So in the first parable, we see a rejection of the father. How many of y'all can see that? Say amen. They were, they were like the second son who said they would do it, but they didn't. They rejected the father's will. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Stay with me. So we see a rejection of the father. Secondly, he keeps on in this parable. He tells him another parable. Verse 33. When you're there, say amen. Hear another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and he hedged it round about. And he digged a wine press in it and built a tower and let it out to husbandmen and went into a far country. Now, if you'll compare this to Isaiah chapter number five, you'll find that this is, this is a picture of Israel. God used, God used a picture of Israel in this particular story. This vineyard is a type of the nation of Israel. The husbandmen are the leaders of the nation. Are y'all with me? Say Amen. And when the time of fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. These are a type of the prophets that God sent to, to get the nation of Israel's attention. Throughout the years, they, they would kill his prophets. They would deny his prophets. They would, they would ignore the truth and the preachers of truth that God would send their way. Verse 36. And he sent another servant more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, last of all, by the way, by the way, John Baptist, John Baptist was the last prophet. And they allowed him to be killed. They allowed Herod to kill the last prophet. So who came right after John Baptist? The Lord Jesus. But last of all, he sent unto them his son. I want you to see this. We see a parable of the father. 
Now we're seeing a parable of the Son. And the first thing we see is Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Are you all with me? We see Christ. But at the last, they killed all the prophets. They killed John. But last of all, He sent unto them His Son, saying, They will reverence my Son. But let's see how they treated the Son. But when the nation of Israel, when the husbandmen, when the leaders, the religious hierarchy, the leaders of Israel saw the Son, they said among themselves, this is the heir, come let us kill him and let us seize on his inheritance. Watch this now. And they caught him. Is that not what they did in the garden? And cast him out of the vineyard. What did they do? They took him out of the city. They took him out of the gates. Are y'all with me? And slew him. You see, we see Christ. Number two, we see the crucifixion. So Jesus has gone from dealing with the past and now he's fixing to deal with the future. He's telling them in this parable what they're fixing to do. They caught him, cast him out of the vineyard. They caught him in the garden. They drew him out of the city, outside of the gates. They cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. That's the crucifixion. That's the crucifixion. But then we see the church. Where do you find that? Watch what he says. Watch what Jesus says. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen. Oh, they announce their own judgment, which shall render him the fruits of their seasons. Now watch Jesus. Jesus says unto them, did ye never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The stone represents Christ. Y'all with me? The builders represented the nation's leaders. They rejected him. The same is become the head of the... Woo, say amen. This is the Lord's doing and is marvelous in their eyes. Now watch this. Here's where we see the church. Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you, the nation of Israel, and given to a nation which bringeth forth the fruits thereof. That is the church. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Say amen. Listen, God's plan for the nation of Israel will be put on time out. And instead of dealing and working through the nation of Israel like he had done for generations, he says, I'm going to choose a new people. I'm going to choose a new group. I'm going to choose a new nation. And I'm going to live through them and work through them and serve through them. That is the church. They were being condemned. They were being judged. Instead of God working primarily with the nation of Israel, he would be working through the body of Christ, the church. All of these parables are saying judgment after judgment after judgment after judgment. Because of how they treated the Father, they said, we won't do your will, you're judged. Because of how they treated the Son, they took Him out of the city. And instead of believing Him and following Him and obeying Him, they killed Him. Because of their treatment of the Son, they were 
judged. Are y'all following me so far? So in the first parable, we see their treatment of the father. In the second parable, we see their treatment of the, the son. Can everybody see this? The stone that was rejected has become the head of the corner. The Messiah who they refused and they would not believe has become the cornerstone of the body of Christ, the church. Say amen. amen. Then last of all, and this is most important of all, this one primarily speaks of the future. And this is where we apply it to ourselves. Chapter 22, verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables. Now he says, and he begins to describe the kingdom of heaven. This is the way it's going to be. The kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king which made a marriage for his son. Now there's no, there's no, it's not real hard to understand the picture here. The church is the bride of Christ. And after the rapture of the church, there's going to be a wedding. And there's going to be a wedding feast. We learn that in Revelation. Are y'all with me? Say amen. There's going to be a great event. There's going to be a great celebration. And guess what? You're invited. You're invited. There is a great king who is going to hold a great banquet. And you have a great invitation. Yes. He sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding. Now keep in mind, the nation of Israel was invited first. What did, what did Paul say to the Jew first and also, okay? So the invitation is to God's people. But watch what happens. Those that were bidden were the nation of Israel. Tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready, come unto the marriage. Now, I have been invited to parties before. And I have been invited to some, well, most of mine have been redneck issued. <clears throat> so it was usually hamburgers and hot dogs. But this is an invitation of a king. Are y'all with me? This is a pretty special deal. This is a significant, a significant. Now, I don't know about y'all. I don't know who all's in this building, but I ain't never been to a party thrown by a king. Are y'all with me? This is a pretty significant. This is a swanky thing. Amen. Now watch. The Bible says in verse eight, or excuse me, verse five. But they made light of it. And they went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. We see a great invitation in verses 1 through 4. A great invitation. He's inviting a group. And keep in mind, you've got you to gotta look at the fine print. They that were bidden... This was the nation of Israel. He had sent their Messiah to them. He had sent a hero, a deliverer to them. They were bidden. But look at their response. Verse 5. Read it with me. 
but they, they made light of it. We not only see a great invitation, but we see an apathetic response. An apathetic response. Now let's apply that to today. Let's apply that to today. This is a, this is primarily, this is primarily a judgment described in a, a, uh, a response described against the nation of Israel. Are y'all with me? Say amen. But how many of y'all know that there is a great invitation available to everybody in this room right now? Amen. Let him, whosoever will, let him. If you're thirsty, let him. If you're hungry, let him. Are y'all with me? Whosoever will. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is a great invitation given by God the Father to every sinner in this room. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter how heavy a baggage you're carrying. He will forgive you and save you today. We have a great invitation. We have a great opportunity. We have a great chance to have deliverance in our life and freedom in our life and forgiveness in our life. But I'm afraid that there are many people even in this room that are treating that invitation just like the nation of Israel treated their invitation and they're making light of it. It says one went to his own farm, the other to his merchant. In other words, the, the things of this world were more important than the great invitation. Your hobbies, your work, your toys, your, your games, your, your money, your merchandise, everything is taking precedence. Everything is a higher priority than the invitation that God has given. They're making light of it. I don't have time for God. I don't have time for repentance. I don't have time. I'll do your little church thing, but I don't have time to completely sell out to God. There's an apathetic response. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you pay attention to this one. We see a great invitation. We see an apathetic response. But unfortunately, there's a drastic consequences. There are drastic consequences. Watch what happens. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But verse 7, but when the king heard thereof. He was. Now I've had a lot of people angry with me. But I sure don't want God mad at me. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers. And what? Now watch this before I go on. This is prophecy. This is prophecy. This goes even after the crucifixion. When, when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, thousands were saved. And if you go into the book of Acts, you'll see that they are preaching, they are teaching. And there comes a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen is preaching under the influence and the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, now watch, now watch. The first parable was a parable of the father. The second parable was a parable of the son. 
The third parable was a parable of the servant. Now the servant represents the Holy Spirit. He sent servants and they killed them and slew them. Now preacher, you say, what, what, where did we find that? What happened to Stephen? Come on, what happened to Stephen? They killed him. They stoned him. Now, what did we say? What does the Bible say about Stephen? He was full of the Holy Ghost. In other words, he was preaching under the influence and the direction of the Holy Spirit. Stephen wasn't doing his own thing. He was doing God's thing. He wasn't delivering his own message. He's delivering God's message. So it wasn't Stephen speaking, it was the Holy Spirit. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And they killed him. And God drew the line. So how do you know that? Because he says here he was wroth. And he sent his armies and killed the murderers. And what to the city? Guess what? I'm not, you don't even have to find this in the Bible. You can go to, to, to secular history and find out that God sent Titus in 70 AD. The Roman legions came and they killed over a million Jews, which would include the ones that killed Stephen. And Christ. And guess what they did to the city? Burned it to the ground. They are di- they're doing excavations right now in the city of David. They found the city of David and they're digging it up and they're finding charred remains from the burning of the city. What is Jesus doing? He's speaking prophecy. And guess what? We can go back in secular history and see the fulfillment of what Jesus just said. But guess what? There's more. There's more. Watch what he says. Then saith he to his servants, the wedding is ready. But they which were bidden were not. Now who was, who was bidden? Who did we say was bidden? The nation of. But now God is deeming them unworthy. Go ye therefore in the highways. And as many as ye shall bid to the marriage. Now, who does that represent? Them old raggedy Gentiles. Them old nasty Gentiles who the Jews wouldn't spit on if they was on fire. Who some Jews didn't even think they had a soul. God has turned from reaching the Jew and now he's reaching to whosoever. He said, go into the highways. Go into the hedges. Go into the outcasts. Go into the nobodies. Go into the good and go into the bad. Tell them all. Woo, say amen. amen. It gets better. Verse 10. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found. Watch this right here. Watch this right here. Both. Both bad and good. Say amen. And the wedding was furnished with... Hey, hey, hey. 
I'm glad I, it, it doesn't matter if your life started out good or if your life started out bad. Listen, I don't care if you came to God from a bar stool or a church pew. It doesn't matter. God will take you just like you are. Listen, he didn't discriminate. He went for the bad and the good. And by the way, if you think you're good, you're bad. There is none righteous, no, not one. Now this good doesn't mean, listen, it doesn't mean good enough. It meant the morally upstanding, the morally uprighteous. Listen, here's the thing, here's the thing. My father, you know, y'all know my, my father's story. His background coming to God came from a bad. He was a heathen. He was a reprobate. He was a thug. He was a bully. He was somebody I despised when I grew up. That type of person. I came from a church pew. I came from the good. I could quote scripture. I re- Listen, I, I, I wore a suit, three-piece suit, say amen. amen. Carried a Bible big as I was, carried it around. All oh, the little widow ladies would pinch me on the cheek and said, my little preacher boy. But guess what? In God's eyes, I was just as bad as my bad father. I was the good, but I was lost. He was the bad. He was lost. We both needed an invitation. Are y'all with me? Now, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. If we go back, he deemed the nation of Israel what? Unworthy. Say it with me. Everybody say it. Say it again. Now, why were they unworthy? Was it because they were bad? No. Why? Because they were bad being invited. Let me tell you what deemed them unworthy. They said no. They rejected the invitation. Now, why is that important? Because I believe with all my heart there's somebody in this room right now. And there's somebody at Fairview. I know it. And you feel like you're unworthy. But he said go get the bad and the good. Why did he say the bad first? Because they would be the ones that thought they wouldn't deserve it. So he just went ahead and gave them the first invitation. The only thing that can deem you unworthy of heaven is if you say no. Because God is willing to take the bad and the good. Somebody say amen. Oh, that's good. Watch this. Watch this. I got more. Now, I ain't quitting with that alarm going off. I'm going to just keep right on going. You can alarm all you want. Verse 11, and when the, and I'm just kidding, so don't get your feelings hurt. I'm just cutting up. Verse 11, and when the king came in to see the get, now, now watch this. I got to say this. I got to say this. So far in every parable, he has dealt with the nation, the rejection of the nation. But now he gets personal. And now in the parable, we begin to describe God's dealing with the individual. Now, why am I saying that? 
Because God today does not deal with the nation as a whole. He deals with the individual. He's not coming to y'all. He's coming to you. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now watch, watch. We see a great invitation. Can y'all see the great invitation? We see an apathetic response. They made light of it. Can we see that? There are drastic consequences. He came and there were over a million Jews killed and they burned the city. Can y'all see that? They were deemed unworthy. But now, number four, I want you to see the personal application. Verse 11. And when the king came to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a what? Wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was, he had no answer. Then said the king to the servant, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away. Cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called. But now I need everybody to put your pen down and look at me just a second because I'm almost I'm out of time. But you got to get this. Everybody look at me. I need everybody. Let me let me make sure everybody's got me up there up on the shelf. Y'all see me? Everybody. We good. One day we're all going to stand before the king. Fairview, I hope I got your attention. Y'all listen right now. This is important. Everybody's got an invitation. There is a swanky, sure enough banquet that's waiting on those who are being invited. There's the banquet of the king, the wedding supper of the lamb, if you want to get biblical. And you're all invited. You're all invited. But with the invite comes a responsibility. Because we're going to stand before the king. And he says, someone stood before the king. And he didn't have a. Now, let's talk about this. You see. Everyone was invited. From the rich to the. But the king would receive everybody and make sure even the poor, because the poor couldn't afford. A wedding garment. That would fit. Being in the presence of royalty. Are y'all with me? So the king would always provide the proper garment for the banquet. In other words, they didn't have to worry about providing it for themselves. Because not only would he invite them to come, he would provide the wedding So there would be absolutely no excuse to be prepared 
for what you're invited to. But here is somebody who came in without a... And he says, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? Not only did I invite you who didn't deserve the invitation, but you did not put on what I provided you to have. What's the deal? And he was speechless. He had no answer. You say, what happened with this guy? He, now listen there, buddy, listen. Wake up. Look, look at me, look at me. He thought he could come to the king on his own terms. I don't need the garment that the king has prepared for me. I'll come in the way I want to. And there are so many people who are trying to sing a Sinatra song saying, I did it my way. Well, that'll work in Vegas, but it won't work in heaven. God has given you an invitation, but he's also provided a robe of righteousness that can only be received by belief and faith in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even though you have a great invitation, you have to receive the wedding garment. You have to receive the salvation that is so graciously supplied by the king. And if you come before the king without a wedding garment, without salvation, you will not get in. And he describes the punishment to this person who came and thought they could come to the king in their own way in their own plan, in their own garment. He might have thought, this is good enough. This is my garment. This is what I put together. You see, there's people trying to work their way to heaven. They're trying to do their own works. They're trying to be good enough. Well, no matter how good you are, you will never meet the standards required for the garment to get into glory. He said, bind them hand and foot. Cast them into outer darkness. They'll be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That is a clear description of hell. You see, that's future. In these three parables, and I never saw all of this. In these three parables, Jesus talks about the past and he talks about the present and he talks about the... He talks about the nation of Israel's treatment of the father in their rejection of the father. He talks about the treatment of the son and their treatment of the son. He talks about, the, listen, their treatment of the Holy Spirit and their rejection of the Holy Spirit with the killing of Stephen. And he drew the line and said, that's enough. Now I'm going to the people who were deemed unworthy, the Gentiles. And there is a great invitation Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, God is inviting you to eternal life. He's inviting you to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But you cannot get in your own way. You have to submit and put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people say it.